Hey, welcome to episode 122 of the Collector's Quest podcast. Guys, the new money is here. Video game prices are going to keep going up forever. Wait, I'm sorry, this episode's actually on games that used to be worth a ton of money and now are worth a lot less money. So we're going to be talking about things like changing interests or remakes and the effects that they had on prices, at least for the games that we're talking about. Leave us a review on your pod zone, but really, just iTunes. But your pod zone, thanks for all the iTunes reviews too. Anyway, let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler, here with Johnny, here with Stefan. How are you doing, guys? Oh, I'm good. How, how about you, Tyler? You didn't give Stefan a chance to talk. You kind of well, cut him I out of the conversation. Just I'm fine. Keep you going. First. <laughs> no one cares about how Stefan... We all know Aww. what Stefan's... How he's doing. It's all like, you know, uh, navigating a ring of fire. Yeah. So... My, my everyday <laughs> would put normal people in the fetal position. It's fine. Let's uh let's start this episode off real depressing again, so we can just scrap the first fifteen minutes. Okay, let's not well, do that. that. Your... No, no, that's you're really good at it. So just take us down whatever path gets us there, Tyler. That's all I'm right. Sure, you'll find it. So last two episodes, we're talking about how a lot of crazy things are happening in video games. This episode, we're going to kind of talk about the opposite and how a bunch of video games have come crashing down over the past, or you know, at some point in time. They used to be worth a lot of money and aren't worth as much now because like the price of Bitcoin, it does not just constantly rise. Something's fault. That was topical, by the way. Bitcoin's like $10,000 now. Is it? It is. Back up Get back like in on Bitcoin. Five. It's definitely never going to fall again. Yep. <laughs> so speaking of prices that are going to fall, Johnny, Poopslinger sells for like $600 right now, and that's a worthwhile purchase, right? Oh, yeah. That game you should... I know Metal Jesus showcased it, so that means it's instantly a collectible. You should go throw all of your money at that, because I guarantee that that's going to hold up over time. There's definitely not 900 copies somewhere. So it kills me. People talk about this game, and they're like, the company, they tried to sell their copies, and then they went out of business. It's like, dude, it's a joke. Have you been following their Twitter? It's obviously not a real company. I, it, You know... It's one of these meme games. Maybe maybe we're all wrong, and it's going to be $2,000 in, in a year, but who cares? Who cares about this? That's um, If we've learned anything over the last uh, couple episodes, um, you know, games that matter are the ones that have the most dramatic places to go. And Poop Slinger, I just I don't feel like it's in that category. There's no significance to it. Other than uh, that, people are wasting all of their money on this. I mean, it's a fun story if you actually bought it and you like gave money to the Russian website and all that. But I mean, if you buy it on eBay, you're not getting that story with it. And I feel like that's the whole appeal of owning it to me. Right. Well, that's when it's secondary market, the story is lost. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's some interesting stuff in there, like historically. But do you guys think that, you know, in five years, people are going to care about this? So my my theory 
is that I mean, it, I, it's limited run games, right? It, maybe it's not, but it's not. It, it it's almost certain. Yeah. You think it's not? I mean, it may not be. If it's not, though, I mean, they're still around limited run game. They went to Sony to get this licensed. I mean, they could like it's the same logo and all that could not be limited run games. I think it's limited run games and they're going to filter out the remaining 900 copies in their blind boxes. And then people are going to be like, ah, oh, ha ha, this is a funny thing. If I was limited run games, though, I would keep them out of the blind boxes for like three years. And just let everybody forget about it and let prices go to whatever they're going to go to. And then just then that would be a real funny long con. I don't think they're going to do that. I think I'll probably show up in blind boxes this year. If it, if it is limited run, I just I just don't understand the mentality behind like screwing with their base who they already have kind of a, a tentative relationship with in the first place. Like screwing with them that hard because it if if, it, if they do come out and they'll be like aha it was us haha you've been paying six hundred dollars for a game that we're now going to like list on our website for 40 or whatever or however they do it or you can get it you know in blind boxes whatever like there's going to be people that that that's only that's not going to draw them any more audience that's only going to piss people off so i just don't i don't understand if this was a pr move i just i don't understand the mentality behind it I don't think they're going to like, so whatever, wherever these 900 remaining copies are, I don't think they're going to get blown out. I don't think they're going to show up on a website for 40 bucks. Like if they do go out in blind boxes, I'm saying like, maybe they'll keep some copies. They'll they'll throw like a hundred into blind boxes this year. And like, there won't be enough copies out there to cause like a a panic in prices to drop to $50, but you know, they're out there. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm not that worried about limited runs PR. Like they, they just had a really good E3 by uh you know like a game company standards especially like by their standards so i i think they are probably feeling pretty good about where they sit right now it's kind of your own fault if you spent 500 dollars on a ps4 game right that like like one that you know has to have at least a thousand copies out there i wonder i wonder if this ended up and you know it got a little botched in the process but i wonder if this was an attempt to sort of spin up another label or rather release something that they wanted to release that they already had in the works and then couldn't anymore for some reason the the chief reason i would think would be uh their new deal with disney um you know saying that you have a a standing deal for the star wars license and then releasing a game called poop slinger like maybe that's just not something that they, they could just do all released of a sudden. like the sequel to the nurse love addiction like not that long ago too yeah it was still so, that, but that was still before that that announcement right I, I don't remember i mean they still have all kinds of visual novels i don't know i was because that's actually you know like brands like disney actually do that that's what that's why touchstone exists my guess is that they got Fair. the game poop slinger because what does limited run do they get the cheapest games they could find and they're like we're not going to sell out of these, but if we make it a meme, we're going to sell out of them. And I bet they, they probably didn't expect the people who spend $500 for it on eBay, but they made it I'm a just, meme. They did it. If it is them, I, I, someone made I, it a meme. If it is them, I, I don't think even they release it in blind boxes. Like there, is there any reason to take that hit? Who cares? They are a small company and you know, they've been accused of selling their own products on eBay before. So why wouldn't they just do the same thing? Because there's 900 copies of it, like like some of the games that we're going to be talking about when a whole bunch of copies of something hit eBay and we know a whole bunch of copies don't exist. People are like, whoa, wait a minute. OK, but all right. 
that's our poop slinger stuff. Uh, here's your <laughs> modern console gaming news, I guess. It fit you in care with about the topic. that stuff. It does. Um, you know, we will we'll see what comes of poop slinger. It I means fascinating that people want to spend five hundred dollars on this game. I just I can't. I just don't want to. That's not where I want my money going. Like just. Think of all the cool games that exist out there that $500 buys. Yeah, I think people just get that, that 84 number really get stuck in their head. So despite the fact that there were a thousand printed or there must have been at least a thousand printed, uh, allegedly there were only 84 pre-orders. So rather than people having that thousand number in their head, they have that 84 number in their head. So I think it's driving the price. Like I was surprised too, how consistently that was selling for, for the 500 plus number and still is selling. Um, but, uh, but I think people just have kind of the wrong number stuck in their head and it's getting, making them a little, um, uh, making bad choices. <laughs> well, I'm sure metal Jesus, uh, doing a video about it really helped. Yeah, for sure. Don't make poor decisions, everybody. Well, you know, you're listening to a video game collecting podcast, so that's out the window. Don't buy Mega Man 4 for $2,000. Oh my god, what the hell? <laughs> what if it never drops uh, in price? That's the new normal now, Johnny. No, there's there's a bunch still on eBay for under that cost, complete in box. I don't understand. Anyways, what Tyler's referring to is I was looking at a Mega Man 4 for Game Boy, and said it was an open auction, and I was bidding, and... uh Suddenly, I could not bid my $311 because it had gone to $2,602 in the span of two seconds. So, yeah. And I don't know why. I haven't examined whether there's something weird about that box. Maybe it was like a weird shill bid. I haven't looked at I didn't even look to see how the bidding played out. But, yeah, Mega Man sold for uh, Mega Man 4 for Game Boy for some reason. Sold for $2,600 while there was $900 copies on eBay. Equally as nice. I just can't imagine that that wasn't the result of two people putting in their like FU money uh, high bid, you know, like they're like, I'm going to secure this. And then it can't, it's got to be shill because when there's, you wouldn't put FU money higher than buy it nows that are just as nice. You would put your FU money around the buy it now price. Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't see the buy it now, but I do see that the runner-up bidder bid uh, twenty five fifty six, which is th- that's a number that I would pick if I wanted to spend twenty five hundred on it just to put like a little bit more. Well, the runner-up like a real bid to me by some <laughs> idiot. The runner-up bidder very well may have the reason why you don't see that buy it now is he may have just bought that copy. I don't see it even on completed list. Okay, yeah, the last completed one sold for three hundred and fifty nine dollars two weeks ago on June eleventh. Yeah. June eleventh. Okay, <laughs> so this one sold for twenty six. Okay, uh, if you if you go back and you now if you look at available auctions, there's one in Germany that's showing the American box. It looks like the thousand dollar one actually just sold. So there was one up yeah. there for nine ninety nine or best offer, and that one apparently just went. So probably to the probably second saw bidder. that and went, uh, no thanks. Yeah. And, uh, did the right thing. I don't know. Maybe this is the new price memory for this game, but I don't, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm bidding on a game and it's open auction before I put my final bid in, when we get into that final minute, two minutes, I look at what all the other CIBs or if there's any other relevant ones on eBay and what their price is to gauge. Like I already have a number in my mind, but I'm like, 
okay, is there anyone out there with like a ridiculously high buy it now or low buy it now? Like what, where am I putting myself? So I just do a little bit of research before I throw in a bid. Maybe these people didn't do that. I don't know. In case you missed uh... it. In case you missed it, everybody, Johnny just dropped some knowledge on you. Take notes. So, um, yeah, anyways, yeah, be better at eBay, I guess. Okay, <laughs> so... Let's start the ta- episode. <laughs> yeah, no, let's talk about a game that's probably going to fall in price or not. Uh, you can never tell with Mega Mans. I, I've almost bought all of these Mega Mans for the Game Boy for like the last 15 years. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend $200 on that. I'm not going to spend $300 on that. Mega Man 5, it's now like $900, you know, $1,000. I'm like, I'm not going to spend $1,000. Oh my God, what happened? I should have spent $200 on that. To be fair, this is the most on-topic, off-topic opener we've ever had. Yeah. Normally, it's me okay. talking about, like, orange vanilla Coke. Hey, orange vanilla Coke <laughs> is good. It was amazing. Yeah. So, um, anyone else got anything before we dive right into it? No, Johnny. It's 13 minutes in. Let's start the episode. Okay. People like banter, pre-show banter before we just start slapping them with the, this week, uh, our topic. This week, Tyler is being the jerk. Oh, yeah, no. I got to cut all this now. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Just like that time you were wrong and you didn't cut it in, then either, this has to stay too. All right, guys. Um, we have, we've each picked out some examples from video game collecting of stuff that went down, uh, you know, after having a, a very high price. So let's get into that. You know, I think we all have three examples-ish that we want to share. And Tyler, I think we can start with you. Since you you guys cheated on some of yours too, so I'm, I'm kind of shoving two really rare Atari games into one, and that would be loose copies of Air Raid and Atlantis 2. So Air Raid is by far one of the rarest Atari 2600 games. There were threads on Atari Age like wondering if Air Raid is a hoax because that's how obscure and rare it is. But there are some loose copies out there. In the early 2000s, someone found a complete in box copy. And I think that's sold that sold in 2010 for $31,000. And Yeah, it, that made all the major circuits yeah, of uh, video game news. That was the most expensive video game ever sold in 2010. Like, like at all time. That beat stadium events at that point. Uh, there are now two complete in boxed copies and one boxed copy. So just having an air raid cart just... It doesn't give you that big dick of having the rarest Atari stuff ever that having a boxed copy does. So in 2004, a loose copy of Air Raid sold for $3,300. And then in 2013, one sold for $2,500. And in 2017, one just sold for $2,000. And so it went roughly down 50 to 60% in price. But a loose cartridge in 2004 selling for $3,300 is bananas, right? That is like one of the hottest games I could ever think of. And so uh, I I wanted to say an interesting story about the complete copy, Johnny. What was my interesting story? Oh, the complete copy. So one of the guys who has a complete copy, like I'm just going off on Air Raid because I like Air Raid now. He like ran a video store or something. And he got Air Raid uh, from like a sample guy who's like, hey, do you want to carry this game in your video store? And he was like, no, this game's not interesting enough. And then the sample guy is just like, all right, yeah, just just keep it. And then he sold it for $31,000. It's a nice payday. Man, imagine had he wanted to carry it in his store, all the complete copies he'd have. That would probably make like an actual crazy impact on the market if there was like one other store that carried Air Raid. (laughs) Yep. 
And so Atlantis, so, what's up, Johnny? Oh, I was going to say, so tell me about Atlantis now. Uh, Atlantis 2. So Atlantis, uh, super common Atari 2600 game. People love it. There was a high score contest for Atlantis, but uh, Atlantis turns out the game is too easy and too many people maxed out the scores. So what they did is they made a harder version of the cartridge for top scores where the scoring is slower, but the game cartridge looks exactly the same. So the only difference between Atlantis and the competition cartridge Atlantis 2 is there's a typewritten sticker slapped on the box. So the only way to know if you found an Atlantis 2 cartridge is to actually plug it into the Atari 2600 and like the game font is different. So over the years, there's like maybe two dozen of these that exist now. It's definitely rarer than NWC Grey. Like it's, it's at least twice as rare as Nintendo World Championships. Again, like Air Raid, so the earliest price data I found, 1998, one sold on eBay. They knew what they had. They sold it for $26. That that one doesn't really count. In 2006, there was one on eBay with a reserve that went for over $2,200, but it didn't hit the reserve. And at that point, like games in 2006 didn't go for $2,000 card only, except for like Air Raid. There was one listed on eBay at that point for like $1.75 million. There was another one for $50,000 because at this point, only like 10 of them existed. Flash forward to recently, one sold in 2016 in a private auction with the paperwork that came with the game. That's like, you're a contestant in this era, in this Atlantis competition for $800. So despite being a competition cart rarer than Nintendo World Championships, it has actually gone down significantly in price. Well, rarity, as we've talked about, doesn't always determine price. Um, demand and significance do. Though this, you know... Has some significance. I mean, but this was also, like one of the Atari games to have, but I mean, people just aren't. But also, we talk about games that went down Atari games. They're starting exactly. to climb back up, but you know, Atari games in general down. Um, just the people who are collecting, you know, a lot of them um, just came in around Nintendo. They're just part of the Nintendo era. There's just Atari didn't make it through the 80s, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think there's there's like 20 copies of this, and I bet everyone who wants one has one at this point. Yeah, probably, or pretty close. All right, you have anything more to say about that one? So there's two variants of Atlantis. There's one with a, a day scene and one with a night scene on it. Uh, the one with a day scene can't be in Atlantis 2, but if you find one with a night scene for like a dollar, you might want to pick it up and see if you have an Atlantis 2. It also yeah, weighs exactly, I think, 555 grams. It's a little bit heavier than a regular Atlantis cart. So uh, you, you could tell without opening. With your uh, drug scale. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, being that guy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, people will tell you, hey... That's a drug scale, and you can be like, no, it's a posted scale. Or, or it's a food you get scale. Like, yeah. yeah. So actually, yeah. if anyone knows, most Atlantis 2 sales have been private. I went through the internet archive on Racket Boy. Like, Racket Boy, not like a source, but he listed it like $700 to $2,000 in the early 2010s. And that that's about right. But then in 2013, he put $5,000 to $18,000. And I don't know where that came from. Like, I feel like there must have been one Atlantis 2 that just went for bananas money that I couldn't find. But if anyone knows about that sale, let me know. Yeah, I don't 
I don't know. Racket Boy is that site is funny the way they update some of their prices and not all of them. I know it's like mainly one guy who does all of those things. So he's on Instagram now. You can check him out. Stefan, what do you got for us? I'll start out with you know what? Let me start out with uh, Chase the Truck Wagon. So we're oh, more Atari. still Atari, sticking with Atari. Uh, don't all right. I'll check back listening. in fifteen minutes. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go first, then, Johnny? No, go ahead. You're we're already here and bored. Okay. Uh, or I could start with Tengen Tetris. No, just go. You've already said Ch- Chase the Chuck Wagon. Okay. So uh, Chase the Chuck Wagon is an Atari 2600 mail order cartridge uh, made by Ralston, the dog food company, uh, in in 1981, uh, which is a great year because I was born. Uh, and uh, so I the price hike in this uh, was far enough back now that there's not really good tracking, so I went digging through forums um, and saw in the mid-90s prices for the the card-only around $200, which is crazy and and people talking about how it's like holy grail (laughs) holy yeah holy grail was like is like regularly used when you look at at old forum posts and i don't even like when i bought my copy i had to like kind of dig for for uh even finding like a reference you know, when I was genuinely generally looking for like, oh, rare Atari carts, like Chase the Chuck Wagon was not like immediately mentioned. You know, I think the, a lot of the, uh, you know, there's a big factor in in hype. I know uh, there's some accounts of the uh, remaining copies that were not sold via mail order, which I can't imagine mail order through a dog food company would have gotten uh, a whole lot of traction. But the remaining copies uh, were destroyed. Uh, so really, this this game has the potential to be rare it's just i think it's one of those perfect storm circumstances where uh it's it is a rarer game but then people kind of know that it's rare and have have since flooded the market there's there's nine copies sitting on ebay right now doing nothing um so uh i know Game Value Now has it tracked at $70 loose. Um, I paid like 40 for mine not too long ago. Um, and, and 360 That's crazy. Complete. You got a copy for 40 bucks. I've been looking for one. My price has been like 60, but I'm I'm scared that they're going a little bit up now. Yeah. So so the your 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 loose is around $70 right now, Tyler. So I don't know if they if they are going up. If Atari is going back up. As Johnny had mentioned, then uh, maybe you maybe you jump on it now. But yeah, uh, it had been trading for as much as two hundred dollars, and now down to around the the seventy dollar mark. Like two hundred dollars in the mid nineties, adjusted for game collecting inflation, is like a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And well, and that that's why, like, I the the thing that made me chuckle more is that not just the price, but like the hype. At, in that time period was just for it was just astronomical compared to like uh you know people going oh my god this is a holy grail to now it's like people uh well, i've i found more recent posts where people are like hey i found this thing like i got it for two dollars is it worth more than two dollars so like um so just the the awareness around the game has just bottomed out I mean, there used to be a game collecting website called ChaseTheChuckWagon.com. And I don't know yep. when that was around, if that was like a joke at how not as rare as we thought that game was. No, uh, that one, man, there's some sketchy stuff around the Chase the Chuck Wagon site. It also had uh, an auction site attached to it. Do you remember that? Game Gavel? 
Yeah, yeah. Game Gavel. I learned Game Gavel was out of business this year, and Game Gavel apparently was only around for like a few months. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was orig- it was by that that site, the Chase the Chuck Wagon site. There was some like stuff. I, I think the guy, one of the guys tied to that was one of the ones who made that vaporware system. I think was partially involved in that. That could be wrong. Coleco Chameleon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I think that's it anyways. Uh, I don't have hard facts on that. Uh, I'm not looking it up because it didn't matter. I think he was involved. I'm not really sure, so I don't want to I don't want to say that uh, 100% and like draw any ill attention to this guy who, you know, already had a website go out of business and couldn't maintain an auction site. I, I think I bought like two things on GameGavel. Um one of them didn't come. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's my game gavel story. But, like, people were really excited because eBay was getting pretty gross with, like, their fees and, like, how much they were charging to put pictures on. You know, you couldn't, like, do a good job and, uh, you know, forcing you to use PayPal. People were very upset. And game gavel was coming around as, like, this alternate, like, hey, gamers, here's where you should put all your auctions. And then, not really. Nope. It didn't, didn't happen. You know, it's kind of a Pac-Man clone, and uh, the designer said he made it in three days, so uh, don't expect a whole lot out of it. All right. Cool. Chase the chuck wagon or don't. Um, all right. I apparently I... sold six NES games on GameGavel. I'm going through my old email. Oh. They Good all job. went for 99 cents. What a shocker. No one was looking yeah. at uh, GameGavel things. Yeah, it doesn't have John. the eyes eBay had. Weird. Johnny, I wonder if the person who didn't send you your game was Tyler. Tyler, come on, <laughs> man. Just send the game. I know you didn't want to sell for 99 cents, but come on. That's it not was my 2008. Fault. That's what games were worth back then. It was it was worth it. You could have Why didn't you send? I, I sent you shipping. I sent a payment. <laughs> Why don't you send me it. my game? You wouldn't have bought my games. My games were loose. You only buy complete stuff, Johnny. You're a real collector. Back in, back in 2008, you don't know what I was doing. I, I, I don't know what you were doing in 2008. <laughs> That's right. You don't know my life. Also, I pieced together a lot of games, so. Sometimes I buy carts. That sounds like a nightmare. Sounds like you're going to have some incorrectly married parts. Oh, you can guarantee that those parts are incorrectly married. Mm. And who are you to judge how they're married? <laughs> it's 2019. Gross, Tyler. Yeah. Don't tell them how to be. They, they, let them live their lives, Tyler. Um, all right. I'm going to cut that all off. And I'm going to tell you about my game now. Because hey, we're hey, getting into dangerous guys, waters. Before we hey, Before we proceed. Uh, oh, no. I have I have a predicament. Um, my rig is completely locked up. Obviously, you guys can still hear me, so something is still working. But I don't know what I should do as far as just letting it run or restarting. Because okay, hey, welcome back to Johnny talking now. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna talk about my game now, and my game is. Final Fantasy VII. So we're just staying away from Nintendo games. Maybe that's intentional. Maybe Nintendo games are magical and, and never lose money. I don't know which is true. Foreshadowing. So, yeah, woo. Um, so Final Fantasy VII, and you can go back and you can look at records for this game. It, like, I was buying it in 2004, 2005, 6, 7. You know, I, I used to just pick them up because they used to just be great trade bait. You're like, oh, just pick up a copy of Final Fantasy VII. If you can get it cheap, you know, if you can get it for like 30 or 40 bucks, you can probably flip it for 50 or 60. And back in like 2007, you know, that's about what it was. Um, if you look in like, let's see, game or video game price charts shows, uh, price charting shows it like these high CIBs at 
like 130. I don't know how often that ever happened, but I definitely remember seeing it hit like $70, $80 a few times. And then as time went on, like you'd see these spikes. And then suddenly in like 2012, the game just wasn't worth anything. It became less than $20 or less than $30, down to like a $25 game. And as it's been reprinted more and more, and it's just available to play on every system you've ever wanted to play it on, now including the Switch, you know, it's a $15 game CIB. They sold a bunch of them. There was Greatest Hits. There were several different releases. There's a, a bunch of, you know, variants for this game. Miss like a bunch Prince. of, say, like two or three. Oh, Misprints. Miss yeah. Which is not There's rare. a couple there, different. I don't remember what the misprint is, but it, there's like well, there's, millions of them. Well, no, there's uh, there's a couple, right? So there's this one on the back, and I forget which word it is, but the I is like out of sequence. It's like raised up above the rest of the letters. And then there's some with the, on the very back cover, because it's one of those dual PlayStation cases, there's an image of uh, Sephiroth, right? Walking into the fire, walking out of the fire. Um and then on the other side, it's like uh, the ship, you know, the airship. And for some reason, some of the versions have Sephiroth on both sides. Ooh. Is that Ooh, one worth so. more than? No, people, I mean, it used to be. People used to care about that. People don't care anymore. Don't really know. Uh, VG Collectaholic and I went back and forth on these for a little while. I was showing him some because he was showing some variants. He recently posted, I think, most of the variants on his uh, thread, at least in the last three months or something. So if you want to go see those, you can check him out and check out his podcast, uh, so Masters of Unlocking, for some more content. And Anyways, uh, that's, that's my plug. Anyways, because so, yeah, it's final... important now, the eye misprint is the original print, Johnny. I don't know Ooh, about this yes. Sephiroth thing, though, so I'm yeah. not as knowledgeable as I should be. Well, I like I used to, like I said, I used to make fair trade, because Final Fantasy VII sold a lot of games, a lot, a lot of games. And you could just go to yard sales and, you know, you could get into Goodwill. And this was like a game I would find. And I'm like, all right, get it for 10 bucks, turn it around. And that's how, like, I was hustling back in the day to make money for games back in the 2000 aughts. Now, uh, I have, I still had like two copies or something. And I was like, well, eventually sold them for like $25. And I think I paid like 40 at one point, knowing that I, even if I bought it at forty, I could probably flip it for like sixty, and then that wasn't true anymore. Yep, it's a twenty-year-old game, and five copies sell every single day on eBay. It's amazing. Yep. It's beloved. Uh, the thing that kills me about Final Fantasy VII is you can play it like everywhere except like an Xbox for some reason, but I can't find good places to play Final Fantasy One. It, uh, I want just the most recent release of Final Fantasy One, the PSP one, with all the extra stuff. And the best place to play that game is still a stupid PSP. Uh, is it not on the Very NES Classic? It the original one, but I want the most up to date version. All right, I, I can't with all the extra. This. You're the one who actually cares about Final Fantasy. Yeah, no, it's like all the bells and whistles. Also, playing the original Final Fantasy without the ability to speed up your walking or anything is really hard. Also, I mean, it makes for an interesting challenge to go back and. Um, you know, the magic system was a little bit different. You didn't have magic points. You had a number of spells you could cast. So you'd be like, oh, this is fire one or holy one or whatever. Um, you would 
be like a heal. Like you're like, oh, I can cast this twice. Cool. Oh my, I, you really had to ration your spells because now if you just grind through Final Fantasy and you get to like a relatively high level early, then you just got all the magics you want because you've got a ton of MP. I didn't even Anyways. know it was different in the PSP one. I just thought it was a remake that changed some of the words around. No, well, I mean, it changed the words to be more in line with what's going on. It fixed some of the dialogue. It added extra dungeons. But that a lot of that was done in the PlayStation 1. Uh, God, I can't remember. Origins one? Yeah, I think that one was in Origins. Because there's like three Final Fantasy compilations. But one of them only has one Final Fantasy game in it. Origins, Anthologies, and Chronicles. There it is. Is the uh, Is the GBA one not good enough for you? GBA one also pretty good. Again, like same kind of stuff, but the PSP is like the pinnacle of that moment. The the PlayStation One one I don't like because the loading times were super garbagey. Though if you play that on a PS3, it speeds it up. Or if you play it on their download, but you still get a little bit of that. Anyways, we're talking a lot Final about Final Fantasy, Fantasy One and not and not Final <laughs> Fantasy Seven. Anyways, the game is reprinted a ton. It sold a ton. You can play it almost anywhere. Uh, hard to justify a high price on a game that, like, it, it's also a lot of commitment. So you don't have, it's not like buying a Nintendo game where a lot of these casual guys pick up and master. You don't really master Final Fantasy VII without putting in, you know, hundreds of hours of your life. And then you've only, like, beat it, like, three times. And, like, it's not really a thing to master either, you know. There's only so much you can do. So it's a perfect candidate to see prices drop, even though it is a Final Fantasy and it is an RPG, and RPGs typically hold value. But um, we were asked to talk about reprints and, you know, when they affect prices. And this is one of the times when reprints really did. So there, Final Fantasy VII. I'm kind of surprised that, I mean, the, the remake's been coming forever. But uh, I, I didn't, like, line this up with the price graph. But even with the remake coming, like, there there's not enough people who want to, like, just go back to the original PlayStation 1 or well, even have it on their shelf when the remake's coming. They also did an HD remaster for Switch, like, recently, recently, recently. But you, you but that there's no, a lot of things with the reprint of this is there's not reprints that you can physically buy. Yeah, no, that's fair. I was going to say, I would expect that with the remake coming out, that more people might get into it and like just to put a copy on their shelf. But the supply is so great. But I I could see it going back up a little, but I don't think we're going to get to the, you know, supposed $90 for a CIB ever again. Well, or not for ever a long again. Time, I, no, What's well, up, future listeners? <laughs> yeah, well, that we there's a problem with time stamping, and I'll talk more about that later. But um, anyways, Final Fantasy VII. Stephanie, you were going to say something? Just that I really like the HD remaster that they put out. Uh, Square's been putting out these uh, basically like cheater pants modes for their Final Fantasy remakes. So you can like increase the clock time so it goes or the actual uh, play speed so that it plays much, much faster um, for, you know, the boring parts. And you can like turn off random encounters and you can make yourself invincible and give yourself um, instant um, limit break. Um, it's just... Uh, you know, I have no problem in cheating through a game, especially a game that I've played through 40 dozen times um, throughout my life. So, uh, yeah, it's really fun. I like it. Question. Did they inc- increase the speed at which uh, the spells go off? Because, like, when you are, like, fighting Ruby or something and you're 
copying everything and it takes Knights of the Round. Ra- copying yeah, copy Knights, Knights of the Round. Yeah. You know, 30 times. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. The actual game speed is increased. So everything goes faster. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because that's, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but like you didn't have a cell phone or anything back in the day when you were playing that. And like Knights of the Round would go off or you'd just be casting these things and you're just like, okay, cool. I guess I'll go do something while this happens for three minutes. Those features are also like toggleable on and off, like on the fly. So it's nice to be able, if you do want a sort of legit experience, but then you get stuck somewhere and you're like, F this, then you can be like, oh, for the next, you know, for this encounter, I'm going to turn on unlimited limit breaks and I'm just going to melt face. Like it's, it's cool stuff like that. Maybe if your awesome. uh, maybe if your game needs to be sped up for it to be fun, it's not the most fun game ever. There it is, guys. That's my jab at JRPGs. I didn't say anything about Final Fantasy One because I enjoyed that game more. <laughs> yeah, I like Final Fantasy One more than Seven. I think I think it more caters to the people who, ha- who are buying it for nostalgia and still want to play through it, but are now adults and have children and uh and just don't have the time to invest so and especially for like you know things like knights of the round you know the cast goes from fucking five minutes whatever the hell it is you know like down to down to 30 seconds and uh it just makes it more palatable yeah i'm i'm curious to see what the remake brings i'm still apprehensive about it but uh we'll see because the graphics the ps1 graphics definitely do not hold up like if you try and play it on PS3 on like a modern TV, you're like, "Hi, do you love giant polygons? Welcome to Final Fantasy VII." I love giant polygons. I just want to see right. HD cross-dressing cloud. Has that been revealed yet? When are we going to get that? Come on. I don't think so. Now, Tyler, why don't you instead of wishing for cross-dressing, <laughs> tell us about your next game? I got a really short and easy one. Eco on the PS2. Eco currently worth like thirteen dollars. I think I even bought one relatively recently for under ten dollars if you asked me to name you know a few of the most collectible ps2 games i would probably say eco because people really revere this game but it's basically worthless in 2009 and maybe like 2008 around that time uh that was when there was a lot of talk on the forums like is eco rare oh eco is such a good game it's a hidden gem like that kind of kind of like the earthbound cult was starting to form around eco around that time and it's really hard to find price data because i didn't want to dig forever looking for it but uh ico stands for initial coin offering which is a cryptocurrency term so when you look for things like price spike and price you are only going to find things for cryptocurrency if you look for eco uh, but basically, price charting put it at $50 around loose at its peak in 2009. And whether that was actually loose or that's complete, it is completely dived off a cliff. And I think in part or in large part, that's because the PS3 HD remake collection that came out in 2011. I'm sure it was announced beforehand, so people had time to let the price cool off. But then, you know, basically for the past five, six years, Eco has been uh, entirely worthless. So uh, another instance of a a remake crushing the value of a game, even though in my mind that kind of should be one of the more collectible PS2 games. I guess it's sold better than I'm thinking. Yeah, I... I, It has such an ugly box art. Who would ever buy Eco? I remember when I was looking for it, I paid more than $10. I think I paid like $25 for it and felt like I was getting a good deal when I bought it. And it was like hard to find. People were scrambling for it back in the day. 
Same with Shadow of the Colossus. Like, that was another big one. Like, those were the two, right? Because same people, like, oh my god, these are the games. And now, now not so much. Uh, about your pricing chart, note about the loose versus CIB. I don't know if that, I don't know if they tracked uh, or, like, did any division of the loose versus CIB for disc-based games back in the day. Because every time I look at price charting, like, it doesn't show anything for CIB until, like, 2010 or 2013 or something. So I, I think maybe they just had blended data back then. Yeah, that that could be it. And so, uh, so interestingly, Shadow of the Colossus, I haven't played Eco, but Shadow of the Colossus, uh, amazing game. I'd also put it among the most collectible PS2 games. It There's zero, zero price spike at the same time Eco was going up in uh, 2008, uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, price starting basically puts it at uh, like a $10 game forever. Hmm. So interesting. There you go. Well, PlayStation 2 games that are collectible are uh, like survival horror and shooters or shmups. So, um, yeah, anyways, don't, don't collect Ico or Shadow of the Colossus. What? You'll be sad. <laughs> collect them. They're the great games. No, no, you should, well, they, they really are. In fact, the remakes are beautiful if you haven't played them. Though they've been remade on like the PS3 and PS4 now. But this is Collector's Quest and we only care about original print games. So go ahead and get that $10 copy of Shadow of the Colossus or Ico. Yeah, well, we'll do it now and then get it graded while it's cheap. Send it to WADA and, um... In you know, 50 years, maybe that will pay off. Yeah, when people get to PS2. Anyways, Stefan, let's let's move past that. What do you got? What do you got for your second? Let's talk about Tengen Tetris. Ooh, let's... Okay. Ooh. Uh, so, Tengen Tetris. Um, I'm not going to go over the whole history of the lawsuit between Tengen and Nintendo. There was a big antitrust lawsuit where Nintendo... Or where had, uh, Tengen had really shadily uh, acquired the uh, documentation for the NES uh, lockout chip and uh, illegally and reverse engineered carts to make to beat the Nintendo's um, requirement of like whatever it's, was it? it was carts ten, 10 games a year it was well, it, it, what it was, was it, it was that it? it was that and you needed to buy Nintendo license parts and carts so to get around that that's why tangent carts look different Right. Uh, so actually, the video uh, gaming historian has a great uh, documentary on Tengen. You should go watch that after you listen to this podcast. This game, it's it was never actually rare. So they printed uh, like three hundred and sixty or three hundred and seventy thousand copies of this thing, sold through a hundred thousand before they were court ordered to destroy the rest. And people were like, "Oh well, you know, they destroyed so many." It's like, yeah, but a hundred thousand is not a small number. Yes, I understand games like you know Mario Three were made in the millions, but but a hundred thousand is not a small number however when this game was going for and i was looking through again just verbal accounts of people saying how much this game cost back quote unquote back in the day people were saying up or you know up to a thousand dollars for a for a cib copy of this game um and currently it's on um it's on uh ebay for like as low as forty dollars 
uh, or less for a card-only copy. And uh, the there I just saw a recent uh, s- selling of the CIB copy for eighty. Um, up as much as like uh, in the recent past, up as much as like a hundred or two hundred dollars. But but you can you can get a CIB copy for around eighty to a hundred dollars now. And I think this is there was just so much hype over the court case, and and there was an exclusive um, two player mode in on the cart at the time. I think a lot of this also played into that this was pre-internet and then the internet came along and people realized how many copies there actually were and uh, and realized that it was not as rare as as they initially thought. So yeah, Tending Tetris, uh, never rare. Uh, don't pay a lot of money for it. There's 100,000 copies. That is a lot. Uh, uh, Mike Etler put it at an A- rarity in 1997. Which is interesting because it's five years after the Atari court case was decided, and I guess we know that a hundred sold and two hundred thousand were destroyed because that's somewhere in that court case, right? Yeah. So in these early years of game collect, like if that happened today, people would be all over that. It would be on every Kotaku polygon, like all these numbers. But even then, it was like five years past. No one, no one read those documents to figure out, you know, what exactly we might know about these games. It's just like, yeah, I never see this. It's an A minus rarity to me. Yep, that's uh, the great time of subjectivity. And now we're kind of inf- in the information age, but even now, it's you know, hype is still a thing. Look at Poop Slinger. We're still, we're still doing it. <laughs> so we don't learn. Anyways, uh, I guess that's me, unless you got more on that that you want to go on, Stefan. No, it's pretty much it. It's Tetris. Okay. <laughs> so this one, this game... <laughs> is the, you know, we've talked about Tengen, we've brought up this game as well, and it's Ninja Gaiden Trilogy. Okay, back in the day, uh, this is, this is, I want to make some points about one episodes like this, and, and data collection, and how you talk about things, and why you have to be careful. Because I could say, if I looked at games from 2017, 2018, and then there was like that dip in 2018, if I just looked at that chunk of data, I could rattle off a whole ton of games that have suddenly dramatically dropped in value. And we would have a much different list here. But when do you, when do you stamp things? Like, how long a time are we going from? So, like, if I look back the... You know, 2004, as I can tell you, Ninja Gaiden Trilogy was thought to be very rare, and then it went up, and then it went down, and then it went up, and then it went down. Like, there's going to be peaks and valleys due to when and how you look at things. Some things we have more data on, some things we have less. The further back you go, we just talked about Tetris and how crazy things can be because there's not enough information, there's not enough documentation. So... Ninja Gaiden Trilogy falls into this camp. Be careful when you talk about it. I want to talk about a specific time frame for Ninja Gaiden Trilogy rather than trying to talk about the history of it. So back in, say, we'll go 2014-2015, in between there, it was selling for as high as $400 for CIBs. And then suddenly, in like 2015, uh, you know, mid-end 2015, it drops down to sub 300 so that's kind of like a hundred dollar drop then it then it pushes back up you get it back up to like four hundred dollars again in the middle of 2016 then right before 2017 it's two hundred dollars again and then it goes a couple months later right back up to four hundred dollars and then you see a big spike all the way up to six hundred dollars and now 
you get like 2017, 18, or sorry, 2018, 2019, back around 200, but slowly climbing back and resting around $300. So we're still at a, like from 2014, we're at $100 difference. The game is still lost $100. So I, this game was my specific example just to talk about one, be careful with your data, be careful with time frames. Don't, uh, you know, try to have a big enough scale looking from, and I'm going to do the exact opposite of what I just talked about on my next game, but try to have enough time in between something so you have uh, a good trend line. M maybe one year is not enough. So anyways, that's that about Ninja Gaiden, Ninja Gaiden, however uh, you pronounce it. I know people fight about this. The trilogy, Once Upon a Time, Super Rare, Thought to be one of the rare Super Nintendo games. Definitely isn't. And uh, don't play Ninja Gaiden on, on this anyways. Just go get the NES versions. Because this is not a good version of those games. Anyways, Tyler, got anything else you want to say about that, Stefan? I want a copy, but I want to get I want to get a fancy copy of Ninja Gaiden 1 and 3 first. Because I don't want to blow money on the trilogy. There's not there, the, No one's buying the trilogy to play. Like any other Ninja Gaiden game... The price would be determined both by like rarity of something, but also like people want it as uh, because they love the game, they want it as a collectible. Literally, the only reason to own Ninja Gaiden trilogy is because you think it's rare and that's the value it has, right? Right, because this is not the best way to play it. It's weird too because you'd think Ninja Gaiden people are like, oh yeah, I would love to play. It's definitely not Mario All Stars, okay? It's not. It's not that. This is much worse. Did they? Did they? remake them or like give them a remaster for the no, card? I've never, just I, kinda, I own the card. I've just never played them. They messed with the buttons. They messed with the speed and the timing and the music was really bad. Yeah. I don't know what they did with uh, the music. It's messed uh, up. There's no need it, to play it. Yeah. So just avoid, avoid, avoid. Okay. We don't need to spend too much time on that. So Tyler, back to you. What, what's your next one? My last one, Johnny, uh, is Caltron six and one, which was, what's uh, that? It's a real fun one because this is one of the games that uh, so I I stopped game collecting. I stopped really following anything in like 2010, 2011, maybe. And then I came back in 2016. And this is one of the only games that didn't absolutely go bananas in that time. So uh, Caltron six and one. God, I don't even remember if there's a story behind it, but it's an unlicensed multi cart with some decent games on it. It's not like Action 52, uh, but back in the 2000s it's like clearly one of the rarest nes games like there's also myriad myriad is on a whole nother level but caltron still like something that people definitely talk about one of the most desirable nes games and so i think it peaked around uh 2010 where i found a sealed caltron six and one sold for one thousand seven hundred seventy five dollars and i feel like we talk about, I've already gone over this in this episode, but we talk about game prices now so much. I bring up like these heritage auction prices, but in 2010, video games didn't sell for $2,000. Like we just made a joke about Mega Man 4 selling for $2,600 and it was like, oh, someone put in an FU bid for Mega Man 4. It's like video games were not worth $2,000 in 2010. Uh, so sometime right after that, or this could have been one of the copies that was found, but 2010 maybe early 2011 we started getting a bunch of sealed copies filtering in from mexico and people eventually figured out like i don't know if there's if we know who 
found it, but there was a whole bunch of sealed copies of Caltron 6-in-1 found in Mexico. And now they're just on eBay, and they're still on eBay. Uh, you can go on eBay and buy it now a, a brand new Caltron 6-in-1 for like 400 bucks. And who knows how many this guy has. They might not even stay at $400 for a long time. I bought mine last year for $300 sealed. Um, and I would not be surprised if the, price pre- if the price crashes even further, because who wants a Caltron 6-in-1? And if you did want a Caltron 6-in-1, now you can get it. So if this guy's sitting on a thousand copies, he might just never sell it. Just like those, uh, like the Aladdin games. Those are worthless now because there's like, there's thousands of them and there will never be thousands of people who want them. Yeah, there's uh, like yeah. a dude, there's a dude on eBay that just has all of them, uh, like sealed in box. That's why I bought, I bought my whole set of Aladdin with the deck enhancer and all the games for a hundred dollars. Don't you remember? It spiked like three months ago though. Who did a video on it? Someone did a video no. on it and showed it. Yeah, no, they they did. Someone did, but but uh, I bought it in anticipation of it spiking. I don't know that it actually spiked. It did spike. It went up quite a bit for oh, a little sweet. while. I don't know if it, it has recovered from that, but guys, good job, uh, me. Yeah, you made it in before that. So, um, if you are hearing this and you go and look, and suddenly they're still expensive, just remember one of these YouTube guys. I think made a video about it and uh, messed it up for you guys. So, yeah, it was the Angry Video Game Nerd, and I think there might have been a gaming history of it, historian video at the same time. Yeah, you can get, you can still get the everything Aladdin. Now it's 150 bucks. I think they used to be 100 bucks, but the guy sitting on them literally has thousands of them. So he could try to ride out a momentary wave, but if he ever decides he wants to sell more, he has to bring the price back down. That is true. And so uh, the same thing might be happening with Caltron. Like, if he's only got, like, 100 copies, like, yeah, he could sit on that $400 forever and see what happens. But if he's sitting on a warehouse full of them, you know, one day blow them out for 50 bucks, see what happens. Do it. But all right. Uh, that's basic. So basically the Caltron 6-in-1 story is what um, everyone is kind of hoping happens with stadium events. Um, right? Is it yeah, out there? But it, I want it, it so it, bad, Johnny. It, that's probably not happening. I think if it was going to happen, it would have already done so. Oh, this was 2010. That's that's recent-ish, right? Maybe. We were I mean, going to do a whole the- episode on uh, on games that crashed in value because they were found, and I guess that kind of morphed into this episode. Like, yeah, I guess Aladdin and Caltron are kind of the poster childs for <laughs> being found in a warehouse. They are definitely that. All right, don't mix it up with the Brazilian copy. There's also you could get a sealed Brazilian copy pretty easily. They try to sell them for $250. I don't know anyone who wants it, but don't do that. All right. Good info. All right. Stefan, you're hitting your last one. What do you got for us? All right. Uh, Tyler alluded to the fact that Johnny and I were kind of cheating on a couple of our entries. This is my cheater one, uh, and that would be the NES Classic. Um, I want to talk about this because I think this is a good example of maybe biding your time on modern stuff where there's an opportunity when it's not a limited run and and i mean that both by the company and the actual strategy um it's but it's not a limited run and uh and there's an opportunity for there to be uh for more to be made especially when it's nintendo because they have a history of re-releasing consoles uh reproducing amiibos i know the bottom dropped out of the amiibo market when nintendo started just making a gajillion of them Um, so uh to back up to amiibos are back up oh are they yeah a lot of them are 
Oh. Anyways, the Amiibos are, is a whole other episode on their pricing craziness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was just you know, it's just another example of Nintendo, you know, being completely willing to you know dust something off and and uh, put something back into production. But uh, to back up a little bit, so the NES Classic came out uh, as sort of a bridge between the uh, the Wii U and the Switch. Nintendo wasn't going to have a product for the holiday season that they wanted, so they kind of scrambled to put through the NES Classic. They were not intending on originally it being a, uh, a, a product with legs. It was just going to be a stopgap between the two consoles, and that's it. They did not... Uh, anticipate the widespread phenomenon that that the nes classic uh became so up front they didn't make very many retailers that were expecting you know a ton in shipments ended up getting two or three per store Uh, and then over the next five months they put out another uh about two and a half million units but the market was on fire and that still wasn't enough and then shortly after that production run uh, finished, they announced that they were not going to be making anymore. And so the scalping market that was already high, these things were already selling for, you know, two and three hundred dollars. Uh, you know, I was seeing them go for, I don't know that any of them ever hit a thousand, but pretty damn close to a thousand. There were definitely uh, listings that hit a thousand on eBay, whether or not that's just like people trying to cause a fire by putting in fake bids. We don't know. Yeah, but definitely hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, regularly selling. Um, and then uh, in December of 18, when they uh, announced that they were going to be restocking the SNES Classic, which, by the way, Nintendo upfront was like, please don't buy them from scalpers, we're making a ton. Uh, they also announced that they were uh, restocking the NES Classic and basically were committed to continuing to restock it until the demand had ceased, which is kind of where we are right now. Uh, they have... Uh, ceased production on the NES Classic for some time now, but I can still. I was in my local Target the other day, and there was like three of them in the case. So you can still walk in and pay retail for them. Uh, when you know during the the crazy hypeness, people were paying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So you know, please don't buy from scalpers anyway. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a fan. But. Uh, when a product is new and it is not they haven't announced a like a hard print run and it's for a larger company just give it some time relax things will come back in stock don't worry about it especially you know on in games uh now mass market games for uh disc based systems they're so cheap to make you know they push these things out the door in the thousands and thousands so just relax and even talking about disc-based games for a second uh i, I did want to mention um because of the poop slinger thing now going back to the poop slinger thing for just two seconds most of these companies when they sign on to make a physical uh copy of a digital game they uh the developer retains the rights to make more uh, they have to use, I know with limited run, their contract forces them to use a different cover art, but they could absolutely make more. I think that happened with, I want to say Dragon Trap. Uh, for, uh, there's a couple limited run games where the developer went and said, hey, this made a ton of money. We're going to make more. And they made a second completely new run of a game just with a different you know, piece of different cover art. So... Uh, even in, in limited circumstances, sometimes there's there's still a 
uh, a chance of you getting uh, more into the market. Also on that note, just limited run games. Now they've got this new thing. And like, I want to give limited run some credit um, by take by they changed their order model a little bit, you know, especially for switch games, which I think was the right call. You could pre-order the basic copies until like through a window rather than just trying to get it in, you know, here's one day to buy your game. But now along with that, they've also reserved the right to then sell to Best Buy with new covers, obviously. But, you know, that's an area you can get bit to. You're like, oh, I I thought I was fine, and now here it is in Best Buy. And it's still $30, but Best Buy will have sales on their stuff and Limited Run won't. So maybe that game will be $20 at Best Buy. So there, there's a, there's a lot going on with modern stuff, and that segues into what I'm going to talk about, Wait, unless you I have wanted, more. I wanted to tie in the NES Classic to Tetris, because... When Mike Etler, we love bringing up Mike Etler, when he put Tetris as an A- minus rarity, you know, we didn't live in the information age yet, or we're just starting to get into the information age. I I was seeing people on Reddit and forums when NES Classic Mania first hit, and they were like, I need to get one. It's going to be like an investment for me. You know, I'm never going to be able to get one in the future if I don't get it now type talk. But if you look at the actual sales numbers that we knew, it's like there's already hundreds of thousands of these out there. It is by far the most popular plug and play system that has ever been released. It looks like it's going to start rivaling some less popular gaming consoles that have been released in history. Obviously, these things are going to be out there. So while Tengen Tetris is kind of understandable, the mania around people like like kind of the investment thinking or the flipping thinking about the NES Classic was a lot crazier, I think. Oh, well, it, it was gross. And and what was the craziest, in my opinion, and I touched on it uh, earlier, is that that mania continued through for the Super Nintendo Classic when Nintendo straight up now, I so I get a little bit of the panic from the collector aspect for the NES because there was a moment where Nintendo said, "Hey, we're not going to make anymore." So I, I understand. I mean, it was un, unfounded, but I understand how someone could get a little bit up in arms uh, after that announcement. But with the SNES Classic, the first thing that Nintendo said was like, "Hey." We saw what happened with the NES. We don't want that to happen again. We are going to make plenty. Please, 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 please don't buy from scalpers. Like Reggie Fizeme said that directly. So like I didn't I don't... believe him because when they had, well, when but... they said that, I didn't have an NES Classic yet, so I, I wasn't going to listen to anything Nintendo said at that point. But part of the part of the problem there too was it was coming through in the holiday window, and. It's not like FOMO is a big driving factor. We live in a world of, you know, Bitcoin and FOMO being a known thing that affects people. But it's also the holiday season. It's not just fear of missing out. It's fear of disappointing your kids who said this is the thing they want for Christmas. You know, it was just one of the hottest gift items on all the lists. Like it said, top 10 gifts to get your kids or your spouse was this Super Nintendo Classic and NES Classic both times so that just drove people even with nintendo saying this so it's just like that was just an extra element going on was the time of year yeah it was the first time 
since probably the launch of the Wii where I had like friends coming to me and asking for me, you know, asking if I had an in in the industry or what, you know, like trying to get, <laughs> you know, bartering to try and get an opportunity to buy an NES Classic. I remember people around the office had like stock checkers up. Like, like in stock checkers, checking like Walmart and Best Buy for all that stuff. Just like regular adults, not like people that I even talk to about gaming, let alone retro gaming. It's going to be so this is going to be the best story in 20 years. We're going to be telling like the next generation of gamers like back in 2017, Nintendo released a plug and play system and the world went crazy. And they're going to be like, what a plug and play system? What? Why? <laughs> Was it portable? Did like they one carry of those joysticks you could play Pac-Man on? Yeah. Anyways, uh, do we have more on this? Or have we exhausted that? I'm pretty sure people have talked about the NES Classic a little bit yeah. in the past. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, maybe even on this podcast. Might have been oh, I think we did. had an episode on it. We, yeah, we, we have. The collective we, yep. meaning you and Kat. Yes. Well, we did a great job predicting what would be on them. We did, too. So we did a good job. Anyways contradicting what i had previously said about having enough space and time to look at things right now i'm going to tell you how my last cheater pick is um i am 8-bit street fighter uh now worth a lot less <laughs> wait no, just, wait did we skip the wii u <laughs> no i know I, I was i was kidding yeah. okay <laughs> that was that was almost my third pick yeah so no the wii u the collective wii u console library there was this point in time before the Switch came out and right at the beginning of the Switch where the Wii U was hot. People were collecting it. Some titles were going crazy. They were like, oh, these are rare. Suddenly, Devil's Third, like, which immediately got a reprint. It was like, oh, is it a GameStop exclusive? It's a it's $100 now. Then it was down to like 40 And then it's Hello Kitty Cruisers. It was $100. And then the Croods, that was $100. And Turbo, that was $100. All these garbage games that no one wants to play. And then Funky Barn was like the precursor to all this. That got to like $70. Everyone was like crazy about the Wii U. And then something happened. Nintendo started saying like, oh, by the way, no one played the Wii U. So we're going we're gonna to start putting those games that we think were of quality onto the Switch. And they started to do that. And then people like Hello Kitty Cruisers went, well, I guess we could just port this over, uh, the company that made that. They're like, yeah, we'll just throw that over on the Switch. And that's what happened. And all of those games, and everyone realized that everything on the Wii U was suddenly not protected and could easily be reprinted on another system. And all those prices just tanked. Hello Kitty Cruisers now is like 30 bucks. All those games I listed are like $30 CIBs now or less. Yeah. Yeah, I've, Cruisers peaked at 135 and it's like 40 now. <laughs> yeah. I think it came in waves because first Nintendo put a bunch of Wii U games on the Switch obviously and then it's like, oh, they're putting some Wii U games on the Switch and then there was kind of the slow realization that like, oh, every single Wii U game is going to be on the Switch. Right. Uh, and there were all these people that were like, Wii U is going to be the next Sega Saturn, man. It's such an obscure console. No one's going to know about these games. You're going to have to have a Wii U. To be fair, the Wii U was an interesting... I thought it was an interesting system, and it did have some good games. But now I can't tell you to go play that, because just pick up a Switch. Some of the Switch ports are better on the Wii U. Some of them use the the stupid controller. Just saying. Yeah, which I didn't hate, and like Mario Maker. I'm still not sure exactly how Mario Maker is going to be better on the Switch than it was on the on the Wii U. 
as someone who only plays the levels and doesn't make them, it's going to be so much better. I'm so excited. Well, for playing, but not for making. I imagine the makers are going to feel worse about it. Well, but that's just me guessing. I don't know for I, sure. We've been using level editors on a single screen forever. So we'll make do. Okay. I mean, I'm not worried that people won't. I just, we're talking about, is it going to be a worse experience than they previously encountered? I think probably, but it's not like the Wii U gamepad was amazing. Um, or, uh, or they could just do that thing I've wanted them to do and make a second screen for the Wii U so I can finally play all my DS games on it. A second screen for, for the Wii U. Not for the Wii U, for the Switch. Oh. And then we could solve that. <laughs> Things that will never happen. <laughs> Don't say never. It's just like never the Game Boy happen. player I need to happen. So you can Johnny, play your 3DS. I'm begging for a D-pad, a Nintendo D-pad for the Switch. You're asking them to make a whole nother screen. I just want a D-pad. Buy the Hori one. I want a Nintendo one. I will buy the Hori one once Mario Maker 2 comes out. But, uh... Okay. I want it, I want the D-pad to be where my thumb rests, not in that like hand crampy bottom position. I I agree with you. It's not the best. Anyways, uh, Wii U. Here's the other thing I'll say about the Wii U. Right now, we don't have enough time to to really look at that. So, while all these prices tank now, I don't know that in seven years Hello Kitty won't be a hundred dollars again. So, that that's the point in time. Like right now, it is crashed. It is a thirty dollars games. In seven years, if I look at that price, like oh, Kitty, Hello Kitty was a hundred bucks in uh, two thousand sixteen, and it's a uh, hundred bucks in two thousand twenty-five. Price is stable, so careful, careful how you report things. Anyways, I think that's it. Unless you guys have anything else, we can move to the second half of the show, Tyler. I I don't think Hello Kitty Cruisers is going to be the interesting thing to watch on Wii U. Because kind of everything's down on Wii U, but I don't think anyone's going to really... There's not going to be enough demand to complete Wii U sets. Like, you could literally buy every Wii U game for less than $2,000 right now. I think the thing to watch, like, years in the future is going to be whether people look at, like, Breath of the Wild or some better example, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze... And they look at those as like, this was the first print of this game, so this makes this version more interesting than the Switch version, even though the Switch version might have an extra texture or something. I, I agree, but I'm, my point was more on the how you price check data and, and how timing affects everything for whether a price crashed or not. Okay. But your point is also good. Your point's good too, Johnny. Thanks. We agreed. Stefana, any, do you want a hug too? or <laughs> Nope. I have the thing I'm angry about, but I can talk about that later. Okay, cool. All right, guys, second half of the show, and we'll talk, we can talk a little more broadly than just what we've bought and what we've collected. I know Ste- Stefan has a, a soapbox moment, so we'll give him some soapbox time at the end of the show. Sweet. All right. Um, and maybe Tyler and I will disagree with him. Who knows? We'll see when we get there. So... Stefan, you don't get to go first ever. Tyler, what did you buy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I've, I've been buying a lot, Johnny, but uh, I got Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission. I got some really nice copies of that. Good. And uh, right. I, I love both of those games. But the fact You're that so I'm good. buying Game Boy Advance games, it really must mean that I'm struggling to find the stuff I really want because I never buy Game Boy Advance games. One day we're going to talk about Game Boy Advance games and how crazy Game Boy Advance collectors are. It's a whole deep, dark world. Uh, you have not been exposed. 
I I haven't. I what what's the deep dark world? Is it that like children's packs of cartoons? There's like one box that exists and it goes crazy. It just games you wouldn't think are a hundred dollars. Just there's a lot of hundred dollar GBA games, or you know three hundred and four hundred dollar GBA games. It's the most recent Super Nintendo and the last Super Nintendo that will ever exist. So it, it has its point in history. Yep. Anyways, it uh, it is baffling when you look at some games you're like, why is this game a hundred dollars? Anyways, go on with what you bought. Uh, I got a U Force. You were really excited about that. Gross. Uh, <laughs> Pretty nice are the worst. Uh, I got the world's nicest copy of Castlevania 3 with like the shrink wrap on it and everything. I like that. And a really nice copy of Battletoads. And I got Miracle Piano on the Sega Genesis. Ooh, uh, you got the I think hard I've, one to find. I've bought three copies of Miracle Piano in my life. This was the only one that shipped in a box. And it's already in wrecked condition and it already has a shipping label on it. So even if he didn't ship it in a box, I would have been like... All right. I really, I wanted a place, I just wanted a placeholder until I can find a nicer one. Because I have every, uh, I have every Genesis game complete in box except Outback Joey and Miracle Piano, but I didn't want to have that caveat of both Outback Joey and Miracle Piano. Now I could just say, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just Outback Joey. That thing's crazy. You could argue that that's not even a Genesis game. Do it. Yeah. No, I'm not going to argue that because that's that's too self-serving. That's like I Stefan trying gonna... to hype up the price of Nintendo World Championships. <laughs> I do not do that. Does that all on its own? Thank you. <laughs> it does not need help from me. Uh, <laughs> Outback Joe is not a Sega Genesis game. It's a heartbeat game. Yeah. But all it's right, a Sega cool. Genesis game. All right. Anything uh, else you bought? A you ton, but it doesn't matter. Sega Genesis doesn't minus. matter. You love it. All right, all right. Stefan. Hi. Uh, what have I been buying? Um, Why are you so mad about it, Stefan? What the hell? I'm not mad. Oh, I'm mad about this some other thing. Wait, can I bring up one more thing I bought, Johnny? I just thought of something because I thought of when I got mad. You don't need my permission. Uh, I'm not the boss. I'm going to interrupt Stefan. I bought maybe the most expensive sealed Ocarina of Time that ever sold. <laughs> Potentially. Oh, yeah. uh, you'd probably not. Maybe there's some like crazy private sales for much nicer copies. Um it was a hell of a lot of money. Uh, so I was watching an auction for a lesser condition copy and it, it hit the point where it's like, I'm not going to spend more than this on the lesser condition copy. I'm just going to buy it now with the better copy. And it was, it was an obscene buy it now. The guy printed a shipping label and then the next day he refunded me and he's like, I've decided not to sell this. You know, I just can't part with it. And uh, of course, then I missed out on the other auction and I'm just mad about that pretty goddamn mad about I, that. I hope you gave him a bunch of negative feedback. I did. I had to. So for canceled orders, eBay doesn't just let you give feedback for it. You have to like go to a secret URL that reveals the feedback. But yes, I gave him negative feedback. What a goddamn. Good. Ass. Yep. I I told you, you should watch him too and see if he realists it. Because if he, if he does, you should stab him in the neck. I mean, what yeah. am I going to do? What? Well, Tyler, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll admit to our crime right now on this podcast. I will buy it for whatever the price is. And then he will send it. And I will say it did not come. And then I will send it to you and I will get a refund. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. What a plan. Just admit buyer. your mail fraud plans on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Don't commit mail fraud, people. It's a felony. Uh, it's true. And I won't, I won't defraud you because I didn't defraud Johnny on well, GameGavel. So, uh, yes, he did. He didn't send me my games. 
Uh, so if you've got a really, really nice sealed Ocarina of Time that was sitting, this one was sitting on eBay for like a while because it was quote unquote overpriced. So I'm probably one of the top people in the world willing to lay down stupid money on it. All right, Stefan, go be mad on your thing. No, he's uh, just going to tell us what he bought. Tell, yeah. Oh, uh, you, you, you hyped up something. my mad thing too much now. I don't even know if I want to do it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, this show, as no, as usual, got into my head a little bit, and I've been buying black box games. So, uh, well, how did this show? We, we would not have been promoting that. <laughs> no, we've we've said that ship has sailed. Okay, Don't. it just it, it gets me thinking about stuff, and then I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, so not not nothing glamorous, nothing. Um, I mean, they're all like just a sticker tabs, sealed Super Mario. It's no, I had to have one. Ha- it was a hang tab Super Mario, but uh, so just like some hang tab black box, nothing too glamorous. Um, the other thing that I bought, I finally found. I had been looking for going back to my gameplay counselor stuff. I had finally been finally found the correct model of television that I've been looking at or looking for. Um. I had them ship it, and Tyler's shipping story got me thinking about this. Um, so they shipped it to me, and it looks like somebody dropped it. So it was packed by the UPS store. Like, the person just dropped it off. Uh, it looks like they dropped it before packing it because there's scratches on the tube that have dirt in them. There are, which were then, so all of this was not pictured in the auction. So scratches on the tube that have dirt in them, uh, and then broken pieces, uh, of the frame that are then not in the box. So like the door to the control knobs in the front, not in the box, the Sony logo on the front broken off, not in the box. So, somebody definitely dropped this thing went yolo and then packed it anyway and sent it to me i'm going through ebay i mean i'm gonna get my money back but it's just this huge pain in the ass and it just makes me sad because it was a crt that you that's rare already and then uh just having it be dropped and broken like that makes me real real sad do you have to ship it back? Did I not listen to that part of the story? Uh, UPS has to if if I want to if I want the claim to go through, they have to uh, come to my house, look at the item, and then take it back. Yeah, and UPS probably won't ship it. They'll probably take it to their warehouse and uh, just dispose of it. Yeah, but I feel kind of bad for the seller because I. I legit believe that he got screwed by some minimum wage asshole in UPS. Like that they they d- d- just dropped it packing it and then just didn't care. Like or, and that, that's messed up. Or your seller because you said it had dirt in it, why would it have dirt in it? That guy was probably walking it out to his car and dropped it in the dirt. It could have been just a dirty floor, you know, but but you're right, it could be the seller. I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but but you could well, be right. I mean if I was betting one way or the other, one of those, like, the seller is probably being more careful, but UPS guys are used to handling packages and pack stuff every day. But yeah. TVs, CRTs are super awkward, so, you know, I think even money on either or. Yeah, that made me sad. Uh, what else did I buy? Um, oh, uh, I guess we should give a, uh, a fond farewell to Think Geek. Uh, they went out of bit or not out of business, but are being absorbed by uh, their parent company, good old GameStop. Oh, and so no. uh, they had a fifty percent off everything sale. So I bought some like tchotchke video game stuff, like a Mario dish so- uh, soap dish for my bathroom and 
stuff like that. Where am I going to buy a foam a Minecraft pickaxe now? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, look, ThinkGeek was awesome in, in, in its prime. I will miss it. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Goodbye, ThinkGeek. We, uh, we won't miss you. Probably. Except for, it. like, when you sent me those 70% off like deals, and then I'm like, well, I guess I'll look and see if there's anything. And then I just feel like I wasted 20 minutes of my time, and I'm not buying anything anyways. Thanks, ThinkGeek. Yeah. <laughs> like, Black Friday, they would have 50% off their entire website, and I'd go through it, and it's like, I don't... I'm, a, I'm an adult. What am I doing? I got right, that. Jean, I got that Jean-Luc Picard meme statue where he's got his head in his hands. You sure I'm did. Excited about that. I'm pretty excited. Can't wait to that see that in the next game room tour. Put it next pretty, to your Mario statues. That. No, it's going on my desk at work. Okay. All right. Um, anything else, Stefan? If not, I'm going to move us on to me. Yep. yep. Good. All right. I I have a good buying story. It was it was Father's Day, so if any of you know, I've been looking for a game called Terraforming, Sid Mead's Terraforming, for a while for the TurboGrafx CD. It is the last CD game I need to complete the set. I've been looking for it for a while. I told my wife about it. I even showed her some guy on Instagram who occasionally has games, uh, Samurai Ghost. He always has awesome Turbo stuff lying around. Well, apparently when I wasn't looking, he flashed a picture of two of them and my wife being, you know, uh, the good wife and opportunist, uh, that I taught her to be about video game collecting messaged him and said, Hey, is this for sale? And he said, yes, for the right price. And she just said, what's the right price? And, and paid him a handsome sum of money. And I am now the proud owner of a terraforming that I got for my first father's day. So yay. Yay. I also completed a set guys. Yeah, that well, you're going to complete the TurboGrafx 16 set pretty soon. I was going to say that that's not something that's going to happen very often in the future for you, but yes, it probably will. Well, the TurboGrafx set is pretty much as complete as it's going to get until unless I ever buy a magical chase, which I'm still up in the air about if I will ever do that, and then if I ever do it with a box. So right now I'm three boxes minus magical chase away from having uh, CIB TurboGrafx stuff. So I'm like, I also, one of the things I bought was a Tiger Road, which was cool. Um, a guy saw that I was interested in one. He messaged me. He was like, oh, hey, uh, you're after Turbo Graphics games. I know I have some stuff for sale. So he saw on Instagram that I posted that. So that was very nice of him. And I forget his name right now, which is a real jerk thing for me to do. I should have written it down in the notes, written it down in the notes. Because Roten is not a word. Um, Roten. Yeah, Roten, Roten, Toten, Doten. And then there was a similar thing happened. I got Psychosis, the box for it, all complete, uh, for Turbo Graphics as well. And uh, I bought it on eBay. The guy recognized my name from Nintendo Age, of all things. He's like, and listened to the podcast and said, sent me a message, say, hey, let's cancel this auction and I'll give it to you, you know, out, outside of that. I'll just sell it to you as a private sale here. And, uh, you know, refunded me back like $15 so we didn't have to pay eBay or anything. So that was nice, too. So that was a thing that happened. Yeah, so that was I, a nice guy. And who yeah. was that? Do you remember who that was? Um, did you, you remember yeah, that well, one? Well, I, yeah. can, I can tell you his Nintendo age name. Let me, let me just do that. 
real quick. I'm just logging in. Is Tiger Road one of the last boxes you got? Because, like, Tiger Road does not strike me as a game I would think would be hard to find. It's not hard to find, but the box is kind of hard to find. Okay. It looks like the last box sold for $20 shipped in March. Yeah, that was like, uh, I think that was the Mike Etler sale. No, it's from TurboGrafx-12. Oh, I bought a game from Mike Etler. I don't remember what it was, but I'm excited and I'm going to keep the sales receipt. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, No, well, Mike Etler had a bunch of Turbo stuff he sold off, and a bunch of it went very cheap. Tiger Road normally goes for well more than, it's like over $100 usually. Anyways, it's Mr. CIB on Nintendo Age. Did that for me. So, um, you know, he's a nice guy and... So it was it was cool that he he knew who I was enough to go ahead and take care of that for me. Um, so that's pretty much what I bought. I also bought uh, a couple more PlayStation games. Nothing super exciting. I'll show pictures of those later. Uh, like Resident Evil, I got the short jewel case box for that for the original one. Most people have uh, the director's cut or the long box. This is kind of like the obscure-ish one. So. Yeah, that didn't the long box come first? Yes, that's the one long that matters now, Johnny. It's all that matters. Uh, you would think so, but in the world of PlayStation One collecting, jewel cases are king. So, all right, whatever. PS One oh, people, was, what is wrong with you guys? Yeah. Oh God, you're gonna complete the PlayStation Two set or the PlayStation One set, and then you're gonna be like, ah, I might as well finish the Wii. You're gonna you're gonna finish so many sets in the future. What am I talking I'm not gonna, about? You're done with sets. I'm not gonna finish the. The Wii set. Just not After happening. you're done with PlayStation, Colton you're Murphy. Something. Colton Murphy is the gentleman who helped me out. So, thank you, Colton. Anyways, that, that's all I got. That's cool. what I bought. All right, Tyler, did you play anything? Uh, me and Ada started Divinity Original Sin 1. So, now kind of every waking moment, that's all she wants to do. And it's like actually pulling me away from like my job and other hobbies because she's crazy. Divinity Original Sin 2 is my favorite computer RPG of all time. So going back to Divinity Original Sin 1, it's like taking your favorite game ever and making everything like just enough worse to the point where like every single thing kind of annoys you a little bit. So I'm sure you're getting a lot of sympathy from our audience right now about how your fiance just wants to play games with you. (laughs) Like... I want to play with so her too. Much. I'm not I'm not talking about like wants to play a little bit. It's like wake up at like 11 a.m. because that's my life and then play straight until like 3 a.m. like besides breaking for food. Like that's too much for me. Like I could play a 4-hour session of a video game, but like I can't do 12 hours anymore. I'm not a young man, Johnny. I'm only 29. All right, uh, raise your hand if you feel sympathy for Tyler. Anyone? I don't see any raised hands. Um, <laughs> yikes. Okay, well, I'm glad you enjoyed your game playing with your fiance. Hopefully she doesn't hear you it's, editing uh, this, because, gosh, you sound so rude. No, it's a fun game. Okay. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like you en- you're enjoying it. I am. How's your thumb? You wearing a brace? Uh, I, I wear a compression glove at work sometimes. Don't play Path of Exile. That's my recommend. That's my real recommendation on computer RPGs. Don't play Path of Exile. By the way, I just saw a pair of compression gloves, and my hands always hurt from work. I'm just like, do these things work? So, Tyler, tell me, do compression gloves work? Sure, kind of, yeah. Kind of? Oh. I don't know. Tem- endorsement. <laughs> yeah, sure, kind of. I'm tempted. Uh, I think the, the thing that helps me more is I got an ergonomic mouse at work, so now I, like, 
I hold my hand in like the handshake position rather than the palm down position. Okay. So that's Fair. the that's your ergonomic advice from the Collector's Quest podcast. If you've played too many computer games. All right. Stefan, did you play anything? Nope. My life is bananas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you played you played be an adult. All right. I did. I did push out a couple of YouTube videos though, so Yeah, and when are you gonna that. when are you gonna push out the one on those protos? Uh oh yeah, soon. Soon? Alright. Uh, I did uh I did a game room tour, and then I did um, a feature on a unreleased Sierra game that I discovered. So check that out. Yeah. Your your game room tour is in the next retro gem miner video. Is that? Because I had like uh, I had eight seconds of like air I needed to fill that couldn't just be a black screen. I'm just like I'm gonna put Stefan's game room in here. Wow. Yeah. All right. You're making it now. You're featured on retro gem miner. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I stole um, your video. All right. <laughs> Woo. Without permission, you could sue him. You could at least put Do up it. a copyright claim. Yeah, I, I could get the I could get him with a copyright claim. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't Let's be see. the first time Retro Gem Miner got taken down due to copyright. That's funny. You'll have to talk about that later. I Let's see. What did I play? I can't remember. I played some games. We had like a little party over and people turned on the switch and I have that Nintendo service. So was some class, like I played some Mario and stuff and some two player games, just like random stuff that people were playing um, while we were at a party. So at my house, cause it was my wife's birthday. Woo. There we go. Uh, played a little bit of stuff that I can barely remember. I haven't played city of heroes. I miss it, but no one will play with me. That makes it worse. Why won't anyone play with me, guys? Stephen, you ever feel like Johnny's yeah. guilt tripping us just all throughout <laughs> Collector's Quest? Only all the time. <laughs> guilt tripping you? Why? Wow. Because we won't Why play do you feel guilty about this? God damn it. I mean, I just asked if you would. It's, you know, I Johnny, you don't understand. I don't have time to play other games. All I can play is Divinity Original Sin. You know what would be fun? <laughs> Maybe... Maybe if me, you, and Ada played City of Heroes, we could be a super group. I tried, no, I tried to get her into, what is it, Guild Wars 2 and Lord of the Rings Online. She doesn't like MMOs. She only likes, like, Diablo-like games. But this is City of Heroes. It's different than all those other MMOs. Oh, oh, right. I forgot. Of course it is. Well, don't knock it till you try it. But that won't be with me, and I'll just be sad over here. (laughs) Also, speaking of sadness, don't forget to join Pirates of Dark Water Rules <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> we're really picking up the members now. I think we're up to like nine. So <laughs> it's probably the pay- the Facebook group for this podcast at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, check that don't out. Don't forget to join the Collector's Quest Facebook group, the official one. Sometimes yeah. Johnny posts something, or maybe he just has it automatically mirror his image uh, or his Instagram thing. That's that's what I do. Um, but yeah, it's funny. We have like nine people now on that group. Though weirdly, the Collector's Quest group started to pick up in messages. I've started to get a lot more messages from people there. Because people are looking for ways to find us now that aren't really on IG. Uh, if we did any better at all advertising this podcast in other places, uh, I'm sure our views would go up. But we're not here for views or listens. <laughs> it sure would make so. a lot of sense to actually use our Facebook group rather than just an Instagram dumping ground. Because 
a lot of like newer collectors and gamers who even just talk online. No, people don't use forums anymore. And some people are too old to use Instagram, but kind of Facebook is the the middle ground in between the young people and the old people. Yeah. Right. If we were like there and then had like a, I don't think you can regularly, regularly post stuff like that on Reddit. Um, I think they don't like it uh, yeah, in most but, of the video game groups. If you're doing self-promotion. Yeah. So. Uh, I would thumbs down if Collector's Quest tried to post. It'd be like, God damn it, you stupid podcast. Just get out of here. <laughs> I'm here to find an image I can laugh at for two seconds, not listen to an hour and a half podcast. Well, that would be like, if you're looking for images to laugh at, look at all the, the cool goodwill scores in the video game forums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sick burn. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Oof. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it's true. That's all I got. Uh, Stefan we got to end this episode. I'm going to give you two minutes to soapbox here. Go. All right. So lately I've been really, really frustrated by people who use their uh, generalized experience in the hobby. Like, hey, I've been collecting for 20 years. Check out my game room as a reason that they believe that they can either promote something as real or denounce it as fake. Uh, this this recently happened to me uh, by a, a, a successful YouTuber when I bought my Outback Joey. In fact, I actually made an Outback Joey video uh, talking about Outback Joey variants because of that of that instance where the individual was basically just like, "Hey, I've never seen this before, so it must be fake." Now, I don't mind skepticism, right? Like that's that's healthy. Be a skeptic, but to wholesale write something off as it must be fake because you've never seen it before just drives me up the wall. And it happened uh, very recently again uh, with uh, uh, my friend Brittany had posted some uh, unfolded Game Boy uh, color boxes. like uh, Which aren't boxes, uncommon. Which are not they, uncommon. They, they and, exist. I have like a handful of them. And so there were multiple people on this forum that she posted. It was a Facebook page, but multiple people who were just took that very baseline. I've never seen it before. I'm a bigger collector than you. It must be fake. Now, I would understand if you have experience in a niche, right? Like, hey, I've been collecting unfolded boxes for 10 years. This is why I think that these might not be legitimate totally fine but just being some asshole that just you know is is holier than thou and is just you know i have been in the game's hobby for x amount of time so now i suddenly have this extreme knowledge of a niche that i've never seen before just stop it it's ridiculous you are an awful person oh my god you're (laughs) terrible i hate you the end all right you did it you got it under two Woo! all right um any rebuttal or anything like that, Tyler? Uh, I feel like Stefan rephrased this from how he originally phrased it when we were talking before the show to say, like, it's okay to be skeptical because I remember showing Stefan the second copy I found of Grand Theft Auto double pack platinum hits, which is an unbelievably rare Xbox platinum hits game. And I seem to remember Stefan calling it a Photoshop. I said it was probably photoshopped, but that's also between you and me. That's a little different than me, you know, than someone and the public. Yeah. Also, in in our initial message, you didn't address skepticism being okay because you should be skeptical. People, 
you should be skeptical. Being dismissive is not the same thing as being skeptical, though. There is a fine line. Nuance is everything. Try to practice it. Anyways, the end. All right, guys. Good show. Thanks for hanging out. Where can we find you, Stefan? I am on Instagram and YouTube and Nintendo Age as Archon1981, A-R-C-H-O-N-1981. Okay, and Tyler? I'm all those places too. I'm Default Gen, Default G-E-N. There's going to be a new Retro Gen Miner video up by the time this goes up. Uh, it's, it's really bad. Don't watch it. You should watch it. That, no. That's why what? they're, ch- that's they're the charmingly worst. bad. <laughs> what do you... You don't promote and then unpromote I'm not trying at the to same pro- Are you time. kidding me? Have you, you seen just my like, YouTube channel you think I'm trying to promote? <laughs> no. Well, I do this for like, my own entertainment. I, you're like, hey, there's going to be a new retro ge- minor video. Don't Johnny, it's it. 17 minutes yeah. long. Maybe longer. I haven't even finished editing yet. Have you listened to any of our podcasts? They're like always two hours. I wanted this one to be 45 minutes, but we don't know how to control ourselves. Also, Tyler does the same thing to our podcast all the time. What? Well, no, like, I don't. I don't because like Johnny will yell at me. I don't, do yell Don't at you. unleash Johnny on me. Yeah, I will yell about that. I'll slap some hands. <laughs> All right. I'm Johnny underscore Iucci. That's G-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I. You can find me mainly at Instagram. I'm Johnny on Nintendo Age and Sega Age. I will reveal this to you also on Sega Age. Once upon a time, I was Sega Santa because I used to run the... Uh, Christmas giveaways and stuff and Christmas exchange on Sega Age. So you could also message me at Sega Santa and I would get your message. All right. You'd make a pretty good Santa. Oh, good. Fat jokes. right? (laughs) No. Cool. (laughs) On that note, I'm going to go cry myself to sleep (laughs) and probably eat some chocolate. Thanks, Stefan. The cycle continues. Stefan, I'll see you on uh, City of the Heroes later. All right. All right. right. In our our super group. (laughs) Yeah. What? No, you we're not. not don't there. tell Johnny about that we play. It's our super group, the Pirates of Dark Water. <laughs> yeah, that would be. It would be P O W R. Would be our super group. No one would know what it means. Anyways, that's it, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, we will catch you next time. We may have some interview episodes coming up. I'm not sure exactly where we want to place them or and who we want to talk to first. So I look forward to that. But I think the next episode will probably just be another regular episode, maybe a research episode. Woo! Let's Love do another uh, Scooby-Doo episode. This was, uh, you this know, was I just a... bought a Scooby-Doo game. I'll tell you about it later. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. This wasn't not a research episode. <laughs>